What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome back. This is the Fantasy Alarm NASCAR DFS podcast, streamed to you through the Better Sports Network. I am Dan Malin, and I am joined, as always, by our NASCAR, our NASCAR DFS uh, FSWA Writer of the Year, Matt Sells. He's won it three times. Uh, apologies for not doing a podcast last week. Uh, Matt was not feeling well, and the schedule's just a bit of a struggle uh, just getting everything in sync. But um, it was Texas, after all, and it's probably our least favorite race uh, to preview every year. Uh, luckily we get Talladega this week, so it's a little more fun. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're right on there. So I was, I was sick. It also, you know, doesn't hurt that it was Texas. Uh, I've been to races there and I still don't enjoy the track. Um, I did watch Kyle Larson catch fire at one of those races, like literally car on fire. Not that he was smoking the competition. Um, so we are back. It is Talladega. It is basically, I would say, the last wild, true wild card race of the playoffs, right? I mean, the Roval's a little bit, I guess. Yeah, this round of 12 is kind of odd because you yeah. have a terrible racetrack in Texas. Correct. Which pretty much just has one groove. You have Talladega where anything can happen and anybody could potentially win. Including non-playoff drivers. Right. Um, I think in the truck series, it's been four straight years of a non-playoff driver winning. And it's also been four straight years of like a driver claiming their first win. And that's a truck series. And so, um, and then, and then next week we have the Roval, which is, right. it's not a true road course. It's, 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 it is what it's, it's a road course on an oval. So it incorporates also the last year of the Roval. Is it really? Yeah. They, Dale Jr. <clears throat> I don't know like it's official, but Dale Jr. On his podcast said, that there'll be two Charlotte races on the oval next year. So I have a little, I bit mean, of- that works just because this car is really good on mile, and, mile a and a half. Yeah. And we've kind of been stripping the schedule of these mile and a half for road courses. Like we're losing indie road course next year as well. They're going, it's so we're losing, good. we're losing it's the two rules. <laughs> I liked it. I, I liked it because like I had a nice, you know, bubble wall is hundred to one bad hit. So it's well, like, for that, I'm always like, I like this race, but the racing on it sucks. It's it's almost too chaotic and, and high variance. The Except race is this year when we banked on it being chaos and we got eighty. And it was boring. Green flag racing. <laughs> yeah. Was passing. Uh, so like they've what done it three years and neither there wasn't a single good race. I would say. Um, yeah, but the Rovals put together really good. The first year was nuts because everybody was still trying, but then like, I don't, I don't know. I have mixed. I have mixed feelings about going to <clears throat> two oval races in Charlotte, but yeah. And then the round of eight is Vegas, Homestead, Martinsville or Homestead, Vegas, Martinsville, whichever. It's a great schedule. Right. And then you get Phoenix. So this is really the last true wild card. Cause I would still say that the guys that have road course that are better on road courses tend to be the ones that are better at the Roval. Yep. Um, I know Ryan Blaney won there the first year. That's only cause Jimmy Johnson tried to make it corner he was never going to make my cat has joined the podcast um she's a little stressed today we had a lot of stuff done around the house so she, she she's gonna hang out um but yeah this is i mean it's talladega right it's always chaos except for the year that shr just got the setup correct no nope, okay nope, whatever just sit on my printer um except for the year that shr got their setup correct and they basically ran away with it <laughs> that four car pack that was ahead of everybody. We don't expect that this week. It's going to be a typical Talladega plate plate race. 
So I know we're in full swing with NFL, but on the off chance that, you know, someone who's never played NASCAR DFS before, you know, maybe they want to try it out this weekend. Um, what makes Talladega so unique? Like everything from the track, banking, size, the style of racing. Um, and and why is this chaos, especially for DFS? Like we could do all the re and we say this pretty much anytime we talk Daytona or Talladega, like you can do all the research and you could still have half your lineup wreck out. Correct. Um, so what makes Talladega special? A, it's the biggest oval track on the circuit. It's 2.66 miles per lap. Uh, that is 1.16 miles bigger than Daytona. Um, it is steeper than Daytona, uh, both in the front stretch banking and the corner banking. And you and I both walked up the front stretch banking at Daytona. So anything steeper than that is pretty steep. Um, it's a little wider than Daytona. So you get more, you can get about four cars wide. You can't really do that at Daytona. And additionally, what makes it spectacular and what leads to a lot of late, late race passing and last lap passing is the start finish line is about two thirds of the way down the front stretch. So even if you come off turn four in the lead, you've got to go almost a mile holding the lead at Talladega, which is pretty hard to do. And what leads to chaos? Well, it's a plate track. What do we mean by that? They used to put restrictor plates in the engine. Now they don't actually do that. They just make you put in, everybody has the same engine. Everybody has the same, to quote Dale Earnhardt Jr., big-ass spoiler. Um, and it basically means that all of the cars have the same horsepower, which means they basically go all the same speed. So you get 40 cars driving side-by-side side or single-file, for the whole race, basically, there's not you're not going to get gaps like we saw at Texas last week, where you know you got one guy who went out by three, five, seven seconds, and just kind of you know ran away with stuff until something happened. The entire pack is going to be within like two seconds of each other, <laughs> basically all day on Sunday. Um, so that makes it chaotic because if somebody blinks wrong, has an itch, sneezes, just gets plain loose from the wind that they can't see. They can wreck out a bunch of people. Call it the big one. And that might sink your day on DFS. Now, we do always kind of touch on the importance of Dominator points. Yes. Uh, so at almost every track. Like next week, they're not going to really matter because it's, it's a road course and there are fewer right. laps. However, it's not that Dominator, Dominator points don't matter for a super speedway. It's just... They matter less. <clears throat> and they're also harder to predict. Like, Correct. The fastest laps on DraftKings, they're going to probably be fairly distributed throughout the field. Um, yes. No one will have like 15 plus dominator, 15 plus fastest laps. Like you might see one person with 10 to 12. Um, it's still possible for someone to lead a ton of laps if they go single file. Uh, you could expect that to happen in stage two. Um, but with dominator points, just so easy to predict. And we, we always advise against playing the pole sitter just because there's too much risk in case they go backward. Yeah. In the last 50 <clears throat> Talladega races, the pole sitter has won four times. It's an 8% win rate. You literally have to go back to, if you go back to 1998 and they've run two races a year in that time. And yes, 1998 is now 25 years ago, which is scary but whatever that's 50 races at talladega there are four wins from the pole sitter in that span so 
not not great odds of winning. Um, speaking on the fastest laps in the April or the the spring race here, um, there were two drivers that posted double digit fastest laps. One was Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and one was Austin Hill. I think one other driver hit nine. That was Ty Dillon, and everybody else was like in the five to six range. So. And they're all throughout the pack. Like, I can't tell you it it was correlated to any. Like, Zane Smith started 35th, was running 36th midway through the race, and finished 37th, and he had nine fastest laps. <laughs> There's no sense to it. It doesn't make it no. so bizarre. Yet the guy, Harrison Burton, who started 25th, finished 36th, had one fastest lap. So, yeah. like, I, you know. It, There's it, no rhyme or reason to it. Correct. Correct. So, you know, laps led. <laughs> In let's see, Kyle Bush won it and he led three laps. Ryan Blaney led 47. We had Bubba leading 35. So, like, you can get a decent chunk of the 188 laps out front, but it's not like we're gonna see somebody go lead a hundred of those 188. It just doesn't sure. happen. Yeah. Uh, let's quickly talk lineup construction for cash games just because. Everyone will be stacking the back. Um, you know, it, I guess you could just kind of describe what this is. It, it, it's essentially what it sounds like. You're pretty much starting, you know, for a while. I would play guys starting outside the top 25. But essentially nowadays you can get away with just playing six drivers, maybe five on Fanduel that are starting outside the top 30. Leave a ton of money on the table because these are going to be back markers, but they will move up as the rest of the field, you know, wrecks out. Like, would you agree that stacking the bag in cash games is still a good strategy when building lineups? I would say so. Now, I would also caution you to take more than just a one-race sample for what happened in April because every Talladega race is different, right? We talked about how SHR had the runaway a few years ago where they just nailed the setup. That This car is totally different from, from that one. So are we going to see that again? I don't think so. Um in the April race, you had, uh, let's see, how many guys starting outside the top 20 finished in the top 10? One, two, three, four. And then you had Byron starting 18th and finished seventh. So in the second half of the field, you had five guys who finished in the top 10. Um, and then you had a bunch finish from 11th through 18th who all started you know, 25th on back. So basically the idea of stacking the back is you're taking six guys starting uh, 25th on back, putting them in there and just praying that they miss the wrecks. Yeah. That's essentially what cash game strategy is here. Um, if you want to hit it in the GPPs, you're basically going to take maybe one, maybe two guys starting in the top 10. Uh, one guy starting 11th through 20th. And then the rest of your build is going to start 25th on back. And you just hope that the guys who are starting in the top 10 stay up there and produce uh, some laps led and some strong finish points. But and I would say, like, if you don't play anybody in the top 10, you can just allocate another driver out of the top 20 that's cool. starting between, you know, P11, P20. You know, I'm a lot of my tournament builds. I'm only doing three lineups for these. I hate these races for DFS. They are fun as hell to see live. You know, you yeah. and I went to Daytona. I've been to Talladega before. The racing it's is it's fantastic. Race that because, close and that precisely. It's amazing. 
and the and the television product doesn't really do it justice how fast right. these cars are actually going they they look slower on tv and these tracks are massive in in person um if it rains it takes three to four hours to drive these things i mean to give you an idea they were picking <clears throat> off laps at daytona in less than 50 seconds and it's a yeah. two and a half mile track yeah i mean that's <laughs> it's mind-boggling how fast they're going um, um but getting back to lineup construction, yeah. a lot of my tournament lineups will typically be – I'm so hesitant to start a guy in the top 10 um, just because he either goes backward. The one I play will, of course, go backward or wreck. <laughs> so I typically like guys starting in the teens and then just loading up on like one, two, maybe three drivers in the 20s uh, and then getting a – I guess I'll, I'll try to find a lesser owned or a pivot uh, starting P30 or farther back, um, you know we made the joke for the longest time is that you could just put the faces of every driver on the wall and just, you know, blindly throw darts at it. And that could be your lineup uh, because salary pretty much means nothing here. You can yep. leave a ton of money on, on the table. Yeah. Um, you know, normally we'll tell you to leave anywhere between what 500 and 2000 for cash. And then like a thousand to 4,000 for GPPs on a normal race weekend, depending on starting lineup and whatever. For cash games here, we're talking leaving like ten grand on the table. Like uh, we're, we're not joking. But At like, least, like on Fanduel, it's even more ridiculous <clears throat> because if you go stack the back, you'll have thirty five thousand dollars left on the table <laughs> um, because all of the dudes that start there, um, typically, like Ty Dillon, put up forty something DK points, and he had a good showing at Daytona at the end of the year. Yeah, he uh, he's thirty five hundred bucks on Fanduel. Uh, only J.J. Yaley, B.J. McLeod, and Brennan Poole are cheaper. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they, you know, you get Corey LaJoy, who's been a threat to win here at 4200 bucks on, on FanDuel. Um, sure. Am I going to come out with a playbook? Am I going to tell you that these are the guys that I'm comfortable playing? Yeah, but you got to take comfortable with a grain of salt this week because you could. Li- I could literally find the reason to write up everybody in the playbook. I would say the one driver that you could probably leave out for sure is Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson won't win a plate race. <laughs> He's terrible here. Like, and if you're going, well, Martin Truex has a similarly bad, like Truex has never won a plate race. Okay. But Truex has a couple of runners up. He's won stages. Uh, he's got some top fives in the next gen car. He's just had bad luck. Larson just has no clue how to drive these races. N- none. I'm like, looking up his driver averages, just his like profile. Is, <laughs> is your computer so hysterically trying to do that? <laughs> it's not. It's not good. Um, uh, all right. So in 17 career races at Talladega, he has a starting average starting position of 17.6, and an average finish of 23.4 with what looks like only one top five. Not great at Daytona. Average starting spot of 15.2. Average finish of 22.6. Five top tens, but zero top fives. Just can't get it done. Nope. This is the, the these are the tracks you don't you don't look at. Uh, you know, and we often don't talk about aside from stacking the back. We also don't talk about stacking that much in NASCAR compared to say like NFL where you're stacking a quarterback and a wide receiver. Right. Or, you know, and then you have a, a comeback stack or, you know, you stack baseball, uh, you know, because MLB is wrapping up this this weekend. This weekend is the last of the regular season for MLB. 
you can stack at Talladega and Daytona races in NASCAR. What do we mean by that? Well, you can stack teams and you can stack manufacturers because a lot of them will work with each other, right? So a lot of the Fords will pit together. They'll try to maneuver in the pack so that they get a line of Fords going. Same with Chevys. Toyotas are a little tougher because there's only like six or seven of them yeah. on the track and they usually work with one of um, the other manufacturers. But you can sprinkle in uh, some Toyotas. I have for a while now said that I like Fords more on plate tracks, but here at Talladega, Chevys have won the last three Talladega races. And the last five Talladega races have been won by guys starting 10th through 19th. Should we discuss why the Fords are so good on super speedways, like just aerodynamically? Yeah, I think it's <clears throat> it's two reasons. One, Jack Roush knows how to build really good engines. <laughs> like the, the Roush engines are really, really good. The Roush 8s ones. Um, and those are what's in every single Ford, regardless if it's an RCR or, you know, an RFK or, you know, whatnot. Um but aerodynamically, the Fords have a flatter grill, and they have a flatter back, you know, uh, rear bumper, which means you can square them up better. You can't see my hands if you're not watching on YouTube, but you can square them up better and get a cleaner push, as opposed to the Chevys, which you kind of have to get off center so that you don't actually wreck, you know, push air in the wrong way. Um, that being said, though, the Hendrick engines in pure straight line speed. Plate tracks are usually very fast. Yeah, Alex Bowman's started on the front row of the last handful of Daytona 500s. I think six straight Daytona 500s. He started Something like on the front that. Row. Yeah. Um, do they race very well? <clears throat> Not necessarily, but they do have very good speed. Um, so yeah, so we we can stack here. Um, aside from stacking the back, you can stack manufacturers. And please, for the love of God, if you're watching the race, put your phone in another room. <laughs> Any device you will check your line up on should not yeah. be in the same room as you are watching the race. Because it it literally will not matter until after the checker flag and then adjustments happen because there's guaranteed to be a wreck somewhere that they have to adjust the finish points for. Okay. It literally, in a blink of an eye, you could go from winning to not winning to winning to not winning. I remember for the uh, the second Atlanta race last year, I was watching the race, and I, I remember one lineup that I had, like <clears throat> every driver that I had was in this one build was running in the top six. And I'm like, I'm looking at the running order. I'm like, you know, I have a lot of exposure to all those guys. And so I just opened the DK app. And this was only like, it was early in stage two. And I look at DK. Usually, by the way, when we're doing very well at stage two, yeah. And and so I look at it, and I'm and I'm winning fourteen thousand dollars. And even uh, Ryan Larkin, who's a friend of ours from Daily Fantasy Racing, he even texts me. He's like, "I see you at the top of the leaderboard," and I'm like, "Yeah, me too. It's just not going to hold." And so it's like, <laughs> there's there's no point in checking your lineups midway nope. through these races. I literally, I will tell this again. I'm sure regular <laughs> subs are, but like in the what twenty. This is a good story. Yeah. Yeah. 2021 Daytona 500. Last turn of the race. Turn four on the final lap. I am not winning anything. Literally zeros across the board on FanDuel. Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski, who were then at that point teammates, decide to have their standard teammate 
pissing contest and wrecked each other because they couldn't decide who wanted to win, so they blocked each other and wrecked each other. And a lot of people had them because they're really good at plate racing normally. So they wreck out. McDowell wins. Not only did I hit him at 66 to 1 on the bet, which was very nice. Thank you, Michael McDowell. Um, I went from winning nothing to a half a mile later winning $2,500. So it can happen here. Anything can happen here. And you and I were watching the Daytona race in person. We were winning money, and then the big one happened and literally went through. Yeah, just set everything <laughs> on fire, including the cars. Um, so just enjoy the race. I mean, keep tabs on your guys, but don't don't go, oh, at one point, 100 laps ago, I was winning this, and then it yo-yoed yeah. to nothing, and then three laps later, I was winning even more. Like, you're just going to hate yourself right. if you do that because <laughs> nothing you can do about it. All right, so we have less than 10 uh, minutes to go. Do you want to just dive in and talk a few drivers, whether they're just like super speedway drafting specialists? We can. We can also touch on some some bets because I do like betting. Like It can be very fun to bet Talladega. Uh, it can be a blast. Uh, I'm in a state that doesn't allow it. Um, so, so am I. I but, well, I'm kind of getting FOMO. but uh, that's, that's yeah, it, I could drive across town to the casino and bet it in person. But do I have time to do that? I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll have to, we'll I would have to drive it. to Tennessee to do it for me. So okay, well, I'm a little. Is the 90 minute drive really worth it? I don't know. So why is Talladega more fun to bet than others? You get bigger odds. Yep, for sure. Like I wrote up the betting piece last week for for Texas, right? And at the time. Larson was going off at the fav- as the favorite. This was before practice and qualifying. He was going off at plus 600. The best line you could get him at was BetMGM, right? He was the favorite at plus 600. This week, I just finished the betting piece earlier today on Friday, um, again before qualifying, and Ryan Blaney is going off as the favorite, or co-favorite, I guess, at plus 1,200 at BetMGM. Kislowski's a co-favorite at plus 1,200 at Caesars. So just betting favorites, the odds are twice as the, – the return is twice as much, right? Why? Well, there's more risk here, right? <laughs> it's You're a favorite, but you have as equal chance of anybody of winning the race as – like, you know, that's not the case at Texas. It's not like Ty Dillon had a legit shot to win at Texas. Yeah. He didn't. He may not have a legit shot to win at Talladega, but he's at least got as equal of odds as a lot of other guys. So uh, betting the win is good here. Like you can hit long shots here. Um, I mean, I even think Ricky Stenhouse, who is a noted like super speed specialist, even for the Daytona 500, he was like what forty-five to one or forty-eight to one. Let me see. I have. um, I have some. Odds here. Let me see if I can refresh this up again. And I'm, I'm talking about when he won the Daytona 500. He was about oh yeah, he was at least 45 to yeah, yeah, something like that. 35 to one, maybe something like that. Maybe. Um, but let me see what he is for Talladega. He's 30 to one. I don't know if I would take that. His best, his best return. That's the that's the best odds is plus three thousand at BetMGM. 
FanDuel has them at 20 to 1, DK 25 to 1, Caesars 22 to 1, and Bet Rivers 25 to 1. So I would take the 30 to 1 <laughs> out of all of those. But um, like Truex is going off at 28 to 1. He's a guy who has multiple top fives in the next gen car. He's got stage wins. He's been able to run pretty well. He just has to finish the race. But betting top tens is also quite fun because literally everybody in the field has a top ten at Talladega. And you even had one before we started recording the podcast that you really liked. And I'm kind of on board with it if I could take it. Like Ty Dillon right now is going off at plus 850 for a top ten. Not to win, not for a top five. Top ten, a plus 850 odd (laughs) for a top ten finish. He finished 11th at Daytona in the summer. He did. He he did quite well. Um, you know, he's been improving at each plate track this year. He's posted a better finish, including P11 at Daytona just a few weeks ago. He has a pretty good history of avoiding wrecks at plate tracks. And here, I don't care how bad the equipment is. I just don't because it's all the same for everybody. Yeah. So... Um, if you can snatch that up, then I would. I wouldn't bet him for anything better than that. But top ten at, at you know, plus eight fifty, and that's on DK, by the way. He's <laughs> so I would bet the plus eight fifty, but I'm not sure I would bet the plus seven hundred at Caesars or the plus five fifty at Bet Rivers. How do you feel about a driver like Kyle Busch? He won this race in the spring. He's got three wins on the year. Uh, but at the same time, he is uh, – of the 12 drivers remaining, he is currently 12th in the standings. He's only 17 points back. And this is the kind of race where you can potentially move back up into the top eight uh, if other guys are just wrecking out early or, early, or if they just finish poorly. Um, but, you know, Kyle Busch has kind of been on a cold streak. Has some good – I'm not going to call it momentum, but I guess he's got good – vibes coming in because he did sell his truck series team to aspire motorsports i mean he's got some nice bankroll coming in certainly but yeah wait a that was the big news of the week and we completely buried it for 26 minutes well i mean we don't really talk to truck series too much i know (laughs) but it but it is i i don't know where aspire came up with the money for it maybe from the charter sales of their cup team i don't know but it's it's pretty interesting um to be perfectly honest i did write up kyle bush uh, as a win guy, I didn't put him in the top 10 because I think he's a guy who's either going to win or wreck out. Um, but he's going off at 18 to 1 on FanDuel, which for a guy who won this race like four months ago, not bad, right? Yeah. RCR has always been good at play tracks. They just know how to, to run them. They made Tyler Reddick look like he was a threat on plate tracks, which is pretty impressive um and i i think i think he views this as his best shot to cement his spot in the round of eight because i'm not sure the roval is gonna be kind to him i would agree with you but like i just feel like the standings are gonna shake up dramatically yes uh, after this race and then a lot of people are going to need really solid runs at the roval but a guy a guy who's great on super speedways but doesn't necessarily need to win to really stay in contention to move on to the round of eight is Bubba Wallace. And he did win this race two years ago. I don't care right. if the weather if the weather's short in the race. It's it's still a win. Plenty of drivers have 
won races, uh, you know, because of weather. And he is good on super speedways. He's finished second at the Daytona 500. Um, stupid fly. Um, how do we feel about Bubba this week? Like, I, I really want to get behind the play. I hope he doesn't qualify too well because I've already spoken my piece about starting drivers in the top 10. Yeah, um, but for him, I'm not entirely sure that that matters. Like because he does he does manage to find his way to the front no matter where he starts. Right. And I also think that for DFS, for leverage, if we're talking leverage, which is your favorite subject, it helps if he starts further up because people will avoid him because there's no PD, which is what everybody targets here. Right? But if we look at his 2023 stats, I mean at Talladega, I mean, so far, to be honest, he's been a bit cold this year on plate tracks, which I also think helps us because I'm still playing him. He's very good at plate tracks. He's just not had good luck this year. He's been caught up in a lot of stuff that's not his fault at a plate track. Um, but he started fourth and finished 12th at Daytona a few weeks ago. Um, but you know, people are recency bias plus his Bubba. Yeah. So... Yeah, well, Matt, uh, any final thoughts for Talladega? We've got less than a minute to go. Play anybody you want to. Yeah, that's true. I mean, <laughs> still read my playbook for strategy and some sneaky plays, but literally play anybody you want to. And if you ask me if your lineup's good, I'm probably going to tell you yes. <laughs> I have no clue what's going to happen on Sunday. All right. Well, Matt, as always, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you, to the FA Nation for Talladega. Best of luck, FA Nation. <laughs>